Hi, this is Jay Aruga from the Jay Aruga Show podcast. You'll also hear me in Unboxing Catholicism every Sunday nights at 8 p.m. in the Unboxing the Bible series. Content creation can sometimes be tiring, not to mention nerve-wracking when dealing with bashers. That's why at the end of the day, I retreat to Hollow. Hollow is the number one Christian Catholic prayer app in the U.S. and it's making its way in the Philippines with over 5,000 audio-guided prayer, meditation, daily rosary, and readings with Bishop Barron, Father Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Rumi, and many more. Use Unboxing Catholicism's promo link at hollow.com slash unboxingcatholicism for a free three-month trial. That's hollow.com slash unboxing catholicism. Hollow is spelled H-A-L-L-O-W dot com slash unboxing catholicism. And now, on to the show. Dr. John Bergsma is professor of theology at Franciscan University in Steubenville. He dropped by in our humble podcast to talk about the Bible. We're joined by my friend, the noisy sheep, Voltaire de los Reyes. Welcome to the Jay Aruga Show. Kamusta? Welcome to the Jay Aruga Show, the first conservative podcast in the Philippines where we defend life, marriage, the family, and more importantly, the truth. Today's episode is a special one. We'll talk about the Bible. And when we talk about the Bible, I invite a friend of mine who also loves Holy Scriptures. We have a guest co-host, and our guest co-host is one of... our co-panels in Unboxing Catholicism. He is full of zeal when it comes to evangelization. He has a gospel reflection show in YouTube entitled The Noisy Sheep. Please welcome Voltaire John de los Reyes. Voltaire, how are you doing? Thank you, Jay. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon to everyone watching the show or listening to the podcast. And good, thanks. Are you excited? Of course. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get right down to it. Please introduce our guest, Voltaire. Sure. No, I was born a Catholic, but it was only in my college days that I took my faith seriously. I was like a baby thirsty for milk, except my milk were books. I found it sad, uh, realizing how little I knew, but it was exciting, uh, seeing a lot of knowledge there for consuming I got introduced to Frank Sheed, uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand, Ronald Knox, Romano Gardini, uh, Rudolf Schnackenberg, and more. I was thinking it's sad that they already passed away when I learned about them, and I thought that was unfortunate. Then I got introduced to Pope John Paul II, Joseph Ranzinger, uh, Peter Crave, Scott Hahn, Benedict Groeschel, Thomas Dubay. It's been a while, but instead of decreasing, the list of Catholic greats just keep on growing. I think we're in a Catholic uh, thought revolution, if you feel ask me, and it's very exciting. Today, I'm privileged to introduce one I, and many others, I guess, consider at the forefront of pushing Catholic theology forward. He holds a PhD in theology and is easily recognized for his knowledge on scripture and its significance to our faith. He's also a professor in, in the university that I've been dreaming of for more than two decades, I'd have to say. And a daughter of books such as a Catholic Introduction to the Bible, uh, Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and his Basics for Catholics uh, series. This helped me make the faith reachable by many Catholics. And you will also see uh, him in interviews all over YouTube. And hopefully this episode introduces him to more Filipinos as well. And I guess join us as we talk about the basics of the Bible with Dr. John Bergsma. Hey, Dr. Bergsma, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. It's great to be on with you. How's everything in the U.S. right now? Oh, well, uh, no civil wars currently. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Not too many natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Doing okay for now. Keep your fingers crossed. Okay. <laughs> I, I just want to say that we, we, we hear great things about the Franciscan University of Steubenville. And like, like Walter said, 
he really wanted to go there. My, myself as well, I wanted to visit the place. So you're doing a great job on yes. that school. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great university. I'm very lucky to to have been hired and uh, to be able to teach here. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful place. But you know, um, most of the credit for that goes to uh, Father Mike Scanlon, TOR, uh, amazing uh, Franciscan priest, and our current president, uh, Father Dave Pavanka, really. Mm fills Father Mike's shoes well, and uh, yes. I'm really grateful for the great leadership that we've had at this university, and it lets me just do my thing, which is teach Bible. Perfect. Okay, uh, before we deep dive on the Bible, Dr. Bergsma, could you share to us real quick on how you converted to Catholicism? Yes, so I grew up uh, in in what's called Calvinism, um, and uh, specifically Dutch Calvinism, because my my uh, family is Dutch. We uh, we immigrated to the U.S. about uh, with my uh, grandfather's generation. Mm. And uh, you know, if you know mm. European history, uh, Calvinism took uh, took hold in uh, the Netherlands, uh, where the Dutch come from. And uh, so we grew up very anti-Catholic. You know, John Calvin was uh, probably second to Martin Luther as, you know, famous uh, Protestant reformer. And um, mm -hmm. Calvin was a bit of a stern, mean kind of fellow. <laughs> and uh, he really took a disliking to uh, the Catholic Church or the Pope and wrote a lot of mean stuff about mm -hmm. that. And so that was part of our uh, part of our heritage. Um so I was actually a pastor um, in mm -hmm. uh, in Western Michigan and uh, went went to a very good seminary, uh, very good Calvinist seminary. Good in the well, good in many senses. Good people there, really sincere, um, and uh, and and good academically. Um, but you know, in the course in the course of um, being a Protestant pastor for about four four to five years. In West Michigan, I began to give up on different Protestant principles. Uh, for example, sola scriptura, this uh -huh. idea that the Bible alone is all that we need. Uh, I ran into too many pastors that were outright heretics or um, even denied the Trinity, uh, even though they held to a fully inspired, inerrant word of God. You know, I was kind of shocked to run into folks that call themselves apostolic in the U.S. Uh, apostolic churches in the U.S. are non-Trinitarian Pentecostals. And um, they believe that Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is an ancient heresy. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's they believe that even though they believe in the inspired and errant Word of God. So those shocking experiences running into people that basically weren't even Christians anymore, even though... They held to the Bible made me realize mm -hmm. that sola scripture is not enough to keep you even as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And then I was also shocked to be trained in evangelism by people who would who would evangelize and tell new converts that they could shoot people or rob banks, and no matter what they did, they were saved by faith alone, and so they could be assured of their salvation. And um, now, you know, don't get me wrong, most Protestants aren't. Uh, that extreme yes, yes but the question is isn't that the implication of salvation by faith alone and uh, and if you're going to say no salvation faith alone doesn't mean that you can rob banks and shoot people okay well what does it mean then mm. okay and then that becomes a long difficult question and by the time you you uh, you know fix it all up and and make all the appropriate qualifications you end up with a virtually Catholic position on, on salvation. So I gave up on sola scripture. I gave up on sola fide. And, uh, you know, then, then, um, I was at the point in my career where, uh, I had to either, uh, commit myself for the rest of my life to my denomination or else go on for more education. I decided to go on for more education. I got accepted at the mm -hmm. university of Notre Dame, which is, you know, the most, uh, prestigious, uh, Catholic university, in the u.s um but their theology faculty is ecumenical they got protestant jews and catholics teaching and so i went there for the ecumenical mm. theology faculty and uh, while i was there at notre dame 
I, I met really, really great Catholics for the first time in my life. You know, before that, all the Catholics I'd run into were mostly non-practicing and really poorly catechized. But I ran into some really knowledgeable Catholics who lived the faith and knew the faith and were able to defend the faith from Scripture. And I was absolutely blown away uh, to run into Catholics who knew the Bible well enough to be able to defend what they believed from the Bible. And I had no response to that. I'd never, you know, encountered anything like that in my life. Yes. And then, um, and then they got me to read uh, the Church Fathers, and uh, mm. you know, especially the Apostolic Fathers, the very earliest of them. And when I read the very earliest Fathers, it was so clear to me that these guys were thinking like Catholics and not like Protestants. It was so obvious to me that Clement of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, Irenaeus, they thought like Catholics. Mm. I, I knew enough to recognize that. And then. The kicker was when I ran into Ignatius of Antioch, this very early church father who knew the Apostle John uh, personally. Uh, in one of his letters, Ignatius of Antioch says that everybody has to confess the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raised up. Um, again, every, you know, mm. Uh, the way he phrases it is actually stay away from anyone who does not confess the Eucharist mm. to be the flesh of our Savior, Jesus, which suffered and which was raised. And it's such it's 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 the earliest, clearest testimony to the real presence that we have in the uh, in the church fathers. So, so early, just 10 years after the death of the Apostle John. And when I realized that the early fathers believed in the real presence, that was that was enough for me. Mm. Um, that's the plain sense of Scripture teaches the real presence, and that's what the earliest fathers believed, and that's what the later fathers believed as well. So I got convinced by the real presence, and um, and then the implication of that is, wow. you know, I had to become Catholic. So there's a lot more to that yes. story. <laughs> I'm trying to be brief. Even even what I told you is probably too long. But uh, but that was basically it. Well, very you know. inspiring, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Very very inspiring. I, I just want to say that. Uh, so you were Calvinist before. So you, you were saying the one save always save believe. Yeah, is uh, what you're saying that could influence some Calvinist as well. That faith alone is the one that saves them, and they're predestined to to go to heaven. It's a right. uh, an interesting story because part of the story is because of the Bible. That's why mm -hmm. you started discovering the Catholic Church. And from there, right. you went to the Church Fathers. Right. Yes. So on the first step, the Bible, I guess that's what we'll talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, many listeners of this podcast would would have a similar story once you, they hear what we discuss in this episode. So Voltaire, uh, I'd, I'd like you to go ahead and ask. Yeah, Bible actually, question. Dr. Bergsma mentioned earlier that there are a lot of non-catechized Catholics who have no idea uh, about their faith, uh, practically. So I mean, for for those who are trying to start uh, to take their faith seriously, uh, what do you think is the best approach to reading the Bible? Oh, I wrote a book precisely for that and mm -hmm. that's my little bible basics for catholics all right you know i get that question all the time like somebody mm -hmm. you know they've never really read the bible what should they start to do and i i address that by writing this book so bible basics for catholics teaches the the bible storyline using stick figures mm -hmm. and um i expect my readers to like draw them with me mm -hmm. you know and so we mm -hmm. kind of the book like pieces them in piece by piece, you know, and kind of builds the image as you go along. And that kind of replicates what I do in the classroom because mm -hmm. uh, I go over that with uh, with my uh, students, you know, usually the first lecture in the class, we start drawing stick figures and we, sh we draw the whole story of the Bible using stick figures. Very simple. Anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. But what I found, Voltaire, is that, um, you know, and, and this is true of Catholics, it's true of Protestants as well. And with many different levels like from the very new to people that have been reading their bible for the year for years even people that know the bible well oftentimes don't get the big picture okay they don't don't see how it fits together they don't see the the unit the unifying themes 
they don't see the progression. It's just it's just a bunch of data. It's just like a bunch of uh, facts that are jumbled up. And mm. and that was that was my own experience. I understood mm. Jesus, you know, dying for my sins and being saved, and I understood the the very basics of the gospel. And I knew a lot of facts about the Bible, but until mm. I was about 30 years old, it was all just a big jumble. And I had no idea of the coherence uh-huh. of Scripture. And once I got it, you know, through working with Dr. Scott Hahn, I was like, oh my gosh, it really fits together. Now, how can I teach this in a way that 18-year-olds can grasp it? And, and that was the start of uh uh, doing my little sketches and and stuff so yeah and then and then later years later one of my students joined a publishing house and and she called me up and said can you put it into a book and that was uh bio basics but Mm. i really encourage people you know in all seriousness like I, i wrote this for people just for people you know who are not familiar with the bible and are just getting started i'm like i wish that when i had been introduced to the bible um, somebody had showed me the big picture from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like my mother started me reading the Bible through in a year from Genesis to Revelation when I was 12 years old. And I read it all the way to age 30. Yeah. And I knew a lot of facts, but did not see the big picture because it's so, you know, there's so much data. It's like, the, you know, like they say, mm-hmm. you don't see the forest because there's too many trees, right? So I knew a lot about all the different trees, but I couldn't see the path through the forest. But once I got it, and it all has to do with covenant, with chain, with with tracing the theme of covenant. If you keep your eyes on on the covenant, mm. you can find your way all the way through the Bible, and you see how it actually progresses and it makes sense. Yep. that's actually true, Doctor Bergsman, because I, I experienced the same thing um, for a long, long time. I know the stories of David, Abraham. But when I saw how how everything pieced together is when the Bible really became very exciting for me. Right. Absolutely. You said it already, Dr. Bergsma, the word covenant. Let's talk yes. about that word. As a Catholic, I noticed that there's always an emphasis on the word covenant whenever we study the Bible. I had conversations with Protestant friends about the Bible, but rarely do I hear them talk about covenants and maybe that's just my experience so i guess my question is what is a covenant and why is it important to understand yeah yeah covenant is a family bond Mm. formed by an oath okay so Mm. it's a covenant is a way to to swear someone into your family and this is this is so important to grasp for um for understanding mm. Mm. biblical theology and what the bible is saying you know and i happen to be here guys in san antonio texas and there's a mm. there's an international conference of bible scholars going on right now nice. in this town uh for the next four days and and i'm i'm looking for looking at all the talks that are being given and i would say that guys 90 percent even of the bible scholars that are coming down here don't have a clue what a covenant is okay because it's just um it's neglected and uh mm-hmm. and the wrong definition is given right. uh some some scholars say well it's a it's just a synonym for the law mm-hmm. or it's the same thing as a contract and that's all a mistake okay it is a legal family bond formed by swearing swearing an oath and mm-hmm. um and why is it so important? Because because God uh, wants us to become His family. That's what it comes down to. Yes. Mm-hmm. God invites us into His family. We're not His children by nature. By nature, we're creatures. We're rational creatures. But God wants to elevate our nature by the gift of His Holy Spirit, so that we become His sons and daughters. Okay, that's that's the deep message. And, and if you don't see that covenant is family, then you don't understand that all through the Bible, God's trying to draw us into his family. And of course, the, um, the, the, the covenant that we're in now is the new and eternal covenant. And every time we go to Mass, we hear those words, this 
This is the new and eternal covenant, speaking of the Eucharist. And, um, you know, that phrase new and eternal uh, covenant implies that there were old and temporary ones that came before. And you got to know something about the old and temporary ones that came before in order to Mm. appreciate why the new and eternal one is, is so great. So as Catholics, since, you know, Vatican II, John Paul II, and so many others have taught us that the Eucharist is the source and the summit. It's the beginning and the end of our Christian life because the Eucharist is Jesus. Okay? It's it's the full Jesus. And, um, and Jesus at the Last Supper identifies the Eucharist as the new covenant. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which means consisting of my blood. And so... It's it's a family bond. That's what the Eucharist is. It's a family bond mm-hmm. between yeah. us and God, whereby we become sons and daughters. And and that's the greatest thing in the cosmos. That's the greatest message in the whole universe: becoming children of God. How can there be anything better than that? You know, having that intimate relationship with the Creator of of all things. There's there's no higher reality. There's there's nothing better that you know. That's better than football. That's better than steak. That's better than you know, you know, yeah. here, you know. <laughs> hey, th- thanks for that, Dr. Bergsma. I guess what we'll do here is we'll give an overview of salvation history to the audience going through the major covenants in the Bible. And thanks for your explanation on the word covenant. I yes. see covenants as like a a milestone of each of the events in the right. Bible or signpost. So, right. Voltaire, maybe you could yeah. ask Dr. Bergsma the first comment. I, I like, yeah, I like the part where Dr. Bergsma said it's it's becoming uh, a member of God's family, and I guess we we go back to the very very first covenant uh, that's mentioned in Dr. Bergsma's book, which is uh, who is Adam. Now, what is God's covenant with Adam, and how is this a blueprint or uh, an entrance to the other covenants in the Bible? Sure. So the the first covenant in the Bible is what we call the Adamic or the creation covenant. It's the covenant that exists between God and Adam and Eve. And in that covenant, they had the the privilege of being a son and a daughter of God. That's what the image, that the image and likeness language, like in Genesis 128, made in the image and likeness. That is the language of being a child, a son or a daughter of God. And uh, so they were, you know, real quick, they were in perfect peace with God in the vertical relationship, and they are perfect peace with nature in the horizontal relationship. So everything is perfect, yeah. horizontal and vertical. Mm. And that's that's that perfect peace. And they had access to eternal life through what the Bible calls the uh, the tree of life, right? And um, and so that was the perfect situation. And and. You know, of course, that that honeymoon period didn't last long before Adam and Eve mm. uh, rejected God as their father, you know, made an act of distrust and disobedience and broke that family relationship. But and then the rest of the Bible becomes trying to get back to that original peace, getting that back to that perfect vertical and horizontal relationship between God and, and the rest of creation. So it kind of sets the stage of. This is what we were given, and this is what we want to attain once more. Mm. Uh, there's a question in your book, Dr. Bergsma. Uh, this question is, and, and I like that you asked this question in your book. It's a quintessential question in Bible basics for Catholics. What's the meaning of life? But by pointing to Adam's roles, in in the first covenant, you answered this quintessential question: What is the meaning of life? Can you explain to the audience? Expound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Adam has five roles that is given by God, and the first and foundational one is he is he is uh, made into a son of God by the gift of God's breath. Mm. Okay, when the, when God breathes His Spirit into Adam's body, that 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 shares God's nature with Adam. So now he is what we call a son of God. And then out of that role of sonship, what we call 
divine filiation in mm-hmm. uh in, you know catholic uh jargon mm-hmm. okay that relationship of sonship out of that comes his other roles since he's a son of god he's also a king over the rest of creation yes um so he rules over the animals and the plants etc he's also a priest because yeah. there's a natural priesthood that goes with being a son of god um he's he's a prophet because as god's firstborn son he he's given this role of speaking on behalf of god we see that when adam names all the other animals that that authoritative speaking on god's behalf and then last of all he's also a bridegroom he's he's made for communion and uh and god um you know uh take takes takes the rib famously and and makes for him a bride and um and then and then bride and groom are married so to speak uh in the garden of eden on the seventh day in this um uh in this original state uh of creation and that 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 spousal relationship between adam and eve is a symbol and a representation of of the intimate relationship between god and humanity or at least the relationship that God would like, um, you know, as we go through the scripture, we keep finding God's people likened to a bride and God as husband. Mm-hmm. And that represents that, that intimate love, loving family bond that God desires for us. So this is, this is what every human being is, is called to these roles of being a child of God, uh, king or queen, uh, priest or priestess, prophet, prophetess, and mm-hmm. and, and a spouse, you know. Mm-hmm. And some of us enter into the sacrament of matrimony, uh, where where a human being is is you know represents God's love towards us. So my I'm supposed to be Jesus to my wife. Uh-huh. She's yes. supposed to be Jesus back to me, you know. And others of us, you know, enter into a religious life or priesthood where it's like just direct, you know, where. No, you just espouse yourself directly to God uh, for your life. And, and that's how we're all going to be uh, in the mm-hmm. next life as well, just directly espoused uh, to God. So this gives a lot of meaning to our life. You know, we, we've been we've been blessed. We've been dignified with these roles um, to act out in, in our life in this, this intimate relationship with God. And he's got a purpose for us, uh, you know, here on this planet. Dr. Bergsmith, thanks for telling us that those roles of Adam being a son of God being a king a priest a prophet and a bridegroom uh, we'll I guess we'll see all of these roles if not maybe some repeating in the different mediators of the covenants of God especially in the end with the new covenant yes. Actually, that's very beautiful, Dr. Bergsma, and, and I'm sure because me also, when I found out about the role of Adam, it was very uh, impactful to me. But of course, we know it didn't work out. But So so what went wrong with the first covenant and how does Noah uh, ga- come into the picture? Yeah. Yeah. So under the temptation of the serpent... Uh, Adam and Eve give in to their lower desires. You know mm. the, um, you know Eve looks at the fruit; it's good for food, pleasing to the eye, mm. desirable to make one as wise as God. That's what we call the threefold concupiscence in, mm-hmm. in Catholic tradition. You know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and uh, pride wow. of life. Uh, so they they give in to kind of their lower desires. Mm. And, uh, and in, in an act of disobedience and distrust. So they break the covenant. Benedict XVI mm-hmm. uh, said that all sin is covenant breaking. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's damaging that relationship, that family relationship between yourself and God as your father. So by, by rejecting God as their father, they, they, they have to leave the family home. You know, so mm-hmm. they, they leave Eden. Uh-huh. And uh, they begin, uh, you know, the the you know uh, the, the struggle uh, mm-hmm. of life outside of the garden, and uh, begin to have children, etc. And 
-hmm. 10 generations later, things have gone from bad to worse, such that the whole earth is filled with a kind of corrupted violence. And and God is grieved in his heart because he didn't create the world to be filled with violence and and Mm -hmm. hatred. It's interesting, guys. The word for violence in Hebrew is Hamas. Okay. (laughs) And uh, that's very much in the news these days because of uh, yes. the name of a political party. Mm-hmm. But uh, but violence fills the whole earth. And and God uh, says, we have to put an end to this, right? So he sends the flood to wash the earth clean, saves the most righteous man, uh, Noah. And Noah is a new, a new Adam figure. He's kind of a mm-hmm. new Adam. The ark is a floating garden like Eden comes to rest on a new mountain set mm-hmm. of Mount Eden, now Mount Ararat. And so it's all like a reboot of the whole world. Yeah. And um, and Noah emerges from the ark after the flood is over, and they begin to, and he, and he offers sacrifice, and God mm-hmm. remakes the covenant uh, mm-hmm. with Noah. It blesses him and says, be fruitful and multiply the blessings that were given to Adam originally. Yes. And so we see that, okay, we're going to start over. Um, there's been a bit of damage done, not perfectly peaceful with creation anymore, not perfectly peaceful with God, but at least that family relationship is restored. But even there, it doesn't take long before Noah actually damages that covenant relationship with God. He, he uh, consumes fruit in the form of wine he gets drunk and naked and ashamed and puts curses on his descendants mm-hmm. and when you look at how it lines up in genesis 9 it's it's a repeat of what happened in the garden of eden mm-hmm. the bad consumption of fruit the exposure of nakedness the realization of shame the cursing of one's descendants etc and so noah damages his own relationship with god and and once more you get another cycle of 10 generations yes. and the growth of sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's going to lead into the next covenant. Yeah. So that's basically what we call the covenant of Noah um, yep. that uh, was made with God immediately after the ark. Yeah. The Bible would have been just a few chapters long if it stopped in the covenant <laughs> yeah. of Noah. Because at that point, that the one that you mentioned, all evil persons were wiped away by the flood. So from yes. this perspective of the reader, it seems like we're back in Eden once again. But because yeah. of our fallen nature, man always seems to mess things up. Well, that, that, that's, that's actually interesting because a lot of people would say, why, do, why doesn't God just reset everything or, or cancel everything out? And, and Abraham's story actually shows that. He did. But that solution clearly didn't work because, like you said, Noah uh, still fell uh, mm-hmm. after some time. Right. Yeah, we, we think that we can divide the world between good people and bad people. And if we could just get rid of the bad people, mm-hmm. then everything would be good. <laughs> but, you know, the line between good and bad runs straight down our forehead, nose, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It has to be addressed inside and and that's ultimately the work of the holy spirit yes okay so we'll we'll try to just breeze through the the covenants the major covenants as time permits so let's go to the next one god's promises to abraham his blessings seems to be the roadmap of the next three covenants great nation yeah great name worldwide blessing so these will be fulfilled in the Mosaic, the Vedic, the New Covenant with Christ, respectively. But before that, there, there are things that happened in Abraham's story. Some, some readers might find it weird. For example, the cutting of the animals ceremony. Yes. So what was that all about? Yes. So, uh, you know, so, you know, 10 generations after the flood, the whole world joins together to defy God with the Tower of Babel. Yeah. And God puts that rebellion down, but sad situation, how are we going to reconcile humanity to God? So God chooses this righteous man, Abraham, says, I'm going to work with you and your family. I'm going to, through you, I'm going to bless the rest of the world, bring them back to me. Right. So great. All right. So 
So Abraham, God uh, makes a covenant with Abraham. You know, it's a family bond, and, and, and there's promises attached to that. And the first time God makes a covenant with Abraham, he has Abraham cut all these animals in half, and then yeah. God shows up as fire and smoke and moves between the animals, like, what on earth is going on, right? Well, this is this is crazy. <laughs> but that was an ancient ceremony, and that was a covenant-making ceremony. And what you were saying in that ceremony was, if I don't keep my family commitment that I'm making here, may I become like these animals mm. that are cut yes. in half and, and lying dead on the ground. So God, the, the, the amazing thing is God actually moves between the animals saying, you know, God is uh, calling down a curse on himself if he does not fulfill his promises. How can God be cursed? How can God die? You know, um, so it, it's really, you know, mm. we call that condescension. That's like God stoops down to our level, like when he became mm -hmm. flesh in a, in a, yeah. in a manger in Bethlehem, right? But here God condescends to come down and submit to a human ritual in order to impress mm. on Abraham how serious he is about these promises that he's giving uh to the to the one who's going to be the source mm -hmm. of blessing for the whole human family yeah and some people might not know this that that in a wedding ceremony it's like what we're doing uh, the bride oh, yes. and the groom crossing the middle of the aisle with the two families divided <laughs> on each side yeah so. right yeah. yeah. Minus the may I be like them. <laughs> I didn't follow the covenant. Right. No, but marriage is a covenant making ritual yes, too. Yes, but, yes. but different symbols like the those rings are like shackles that are mm. saying, I'm shackling myself to you for the rest <laughs> of my life. And you know, even though they're, they're of gold, it's a golden shackle, but it's an indissoluble bond. Yeah. Yeah. There's a line in your uh, book, Dr. Bergsma, that we like. Uh, the Jewish tradition concluded that the killing of animals by itself could not have meant much to God. The sacrifices must have gotten their power from somewhere else, from the near sacrifice of Isaac. What What does that mean? Yeah. Well, God actually makes the covenant with Abraham in three stages, each time requiring more uh, sacrifice on Abraham's part. And the the climax is when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, that takes a lot of faith. Uh, the Bible later tells us that the only reason Abraham did it was that he was convinced that God could raise his son from the dead, even if he was killed. So Abraham goes up on the mountain and, uh, and prepares to sacrifice Isaac. And when God sees that Abraham's serious about this, he's actually willing to do this, God calls it all off because he just wanted to see, do you love me like I love you? Yes. And Abraham and Isaac showed that, yeah, God, we, we do love you the way that you're going to love us by giving us your only, your only begotten son. And, um, and so... God swears an oath to Abraham there in Genesis 22 after Abraham had showed how, how deep his trust and his love for God were. And uh, God says, you know, because you've done this and have not withheld from me your son, your only begotten son, I will surely bless you. And, uh, and, and through you and through your seed, which means descendant, mm -hmm. all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, that whole ritual, that whole sacrifice took place on the Temple Mount where Jesus would later wow. um, be offered on the cross. Mm -hmm. And that whole attempt to s sacrifice Isaac was a foreshadowing of, uh, of Jesus's uh, sacrifice. And so later the Jews would build the Jerusalem Temple on top of that site as well. Mm -hmm. And they understood that the animals that they sacrificed in the temple were kind of representatives of Isaac, their ancestor, who was willing to die in order to show his love for God. Of course, God called it off, so Isaac never did die, but Isaac was willing. Mm -hmm. And and that had great merit in God's mm -hmm. eyes, that uh, that 
um, that prompted mm-hmm. God to pour out his, his love and his grace because it, it touched, as it were, the heart of God to see someone willing to sacrifice himself out of love and trust for God. So that's, yeah, that's how the Jews understood the sacrifice. Those animal sacrifices were reminders of, of Isaac, their ancestor, who was willing to sacrifice himself for God. Wow. Beautiful. There's so much to learn. So for the listeners, get Dr. John Bergsmas book, Bible Basics for Catholics. And yes. that will introduce you to the Bible. Eventually, we're pointing to the Bible for them to read the Bible. So, yes. so, so the, the high, let's move to the Mosaic, Mosaic Covenant, Moses Covenant. The, the highlight of this covenant, aside from the Passover, of course, are the Mosaic laws. The, the Jews still abide by the laws today. Why, 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 are there, why are there so many laws given by Moses? Because atheists ridicule us with some of the laws. Like, don't mix clothing. Don't touch skin of dead animals. How, how would understanding these laws help us understand future covenants? Absolutely. So, one of the promises that God had given to Abraham was that his descendants would become a great nation. Mm. So, Centuries later, when they had multiplied greatly, mm. God sends them a savior, Moses, who leads them out of Egypt, out to the desert, and then gives them laws so that they become a nation and not just a mob of related people. Right. So the law is very important to form them into a nation. Why so many laws? Well, mm. actually, not so many were given. It was just the Ten Commandments and a few civil laws that were given at first. Mm. Well, what about all the rest of those laws? What about them? Well, all of those were added in after the people rebelled and went back to Egyptian bull worship mm-hmm. um, and uh, and broke their covenant and their commitment to God. Mm-hmm. God forgave them and remade the covenant. But after that episode of the golden calf where they went back to Egyptian bull worship, God gave them a lot of laws that were added into the covenant. And those laws were given as, as kind of penances, okay, mm. Uh, mm. Or, or reparations, mm. uh, things for them to do to, um, to get paganism out of them and, and, to, and to learn to practice uh, a true religion. So... Those funny things like don't mix fabrics and don't mix animals, yeah. those are actually um, kind of cultural practices that taught the Israelites to stay separate from the pagans. Mm. And things like not touching a dead animal or when you sin, you have to offer the sacrifice of an animal. That taught the people that sin was connected to death and vice versa. Mm. And so we want to stay away from sin so that we can have uh, eternal life. And so there was a kind of a, kind of like a symbolic uh, uh, education mm-hmm. that was going on. Like God gave them practices to repeat uh, over and over again in a certain kind of lifestyle that taught certain healthy principles um, about reality and about relating to God. And they seem funny, maybe in hindsight, but actually behind all of those practices, God was teaching them to be separate from the paganism and, and to be exclusively uh, devoted to the true God. And that was preparing them ultimately to receive even more truth, which would come through God's son, Jesus. Mm. Yep, we're we're almost uh, <laughs> to the to the top of uh, the line. Um, we go to King David this time, who is very popular as a kid. I, I remember reading a lot of uh, Bible stories about uh, David, especially David and Goliath. Uh, but knowing about the Bible basics really uh, tells me and made me realize that David really is the man yeah. of the as, Old as the Testament. As the kids say, he's OG. <laughs> That's the... Yeah. <laughs> why, why would David have this uh, very, very uh, good standing in the Old Testament? 
Right. Yeah, got all the way back to Abraham. God had promised Abraham that a king would arise from Abraham's yeah. descendants. And it takes many centuries for this to come about. But finally, this man, David, comes on the scene of history. And what's unique about him is that he's so open to the Holy Spirit. And so when the prophet Samuel anoints him as a king in 1 Samuel 16, it says that the spirit rushed on David from that day forward. That's like the Holy Spirit rested on David. Now, he's the only person in the Old Testament that has that privilege of the spirit staying with him. Um, mm. Because of that, God arranges for David to become king over all the people. And that's a blessing because the, the people now have a, a spirit-filled king, a, a king who follows after God's heart. And um, that was a great step forward for the people of Israel. And they, they established themselves now as a kingdom under a spirit-filled king. And, um, and that worked very well for a couple of generations under David and under Solomon. And the kingdom expanded and other people became part of the kingdom. Uh, it was becoming an empire as a... Uh, the Edomites and the Moabites and the oh. Ammonites, the other surrounding people were, were conquered by Israel and became part of this empire under a spirit-filled king. That's an image of the church, by the way, because ultimately the church is this kingdom under the spirit-filled king, uh, uh, Jesus. Yes. And so with David, we make this big step forward and we're starting to see kind of a, a foreshadowing of, of how this is going to work out. We're going to get a a kingdom under a spirit-filled king that's going to incorporate all of the nations into it. Mm -hmm. I I realized just by reading your book that as soon as David came into the picture, it's all about David in the Old Testament. There's a big chunk of writings about David. So finally, we're here in the <laughs> end of the Bible, the New Covenant, and the Eucharistic Covenant. So I guess we'll tie things up. How does all the previous covenants fall into place? And how does how do they point to Jesus Christ? Yes. So from the very beginning of the New Testament, like from the very first verse, mm -hmm. uh, it shows us that Jesus comes to fulfill all these covenants. Mm -hmm. So Matthew 1, 1 says, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, uh -huh. son of David. And that phrase, the book of the genealogy of, only occurs one other place in the Bible, in Genesis 5.1, and the full sentence is, the book of the genealogy of Adam. Wow. Well, any good Jew is going to know that. So when they pick up the Gospel of Matthew and they read the book of the genealogy of, they're waiting for Adam to drop, but Jesus drops, which means Jesus is the new Adam, okay? He's the one to bring us back to the garden to restore perfect peace with God and perfect peace with the creation and to give us access to the tree of life so that we can live forever. So Jesus is new Adam, but then son of Abraham, that means he's heir of Abraham and all the promises that were given to Abraham, which were great nation and hmm. great name, which means royalty and, and a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That was promised to Abraham, but it's going to come through Jesus. And then son of David, uh, which means heir of David. And David was promised a worldwide kingdom, promised that he'd be king over all the world. So right from the first verse of uh, the first gospel, we realize uh, Jesus is it. He's new Adam, new Abraham, new David. He's going to bring us back to the garden, give us peace and eternal life. Uh, he's going to bless all the nations. He's going to rule all, all over all the nations as, as king. And then we follow through, and as we continue to read in the gospel, we find Jesus being a new Moses. He gives people God's law and the Sermon on the Mount. He feeds people with supernatural bread in the wilderness mm -hmm. like Moses did. He's a new David who casts out demons just like David cast demons out of Saul back in 1 Samuel 16. So Jesus is, is all, he, he does all that, all that the other mediators of these, or these earlier covenants did, but it all comes to a head in Passion Week 
where Jesus makes the new covenant in two steps. First, in the upper room, he takes bread and wine, makes it into his body, and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we can also say in his body as well. Yes. And uh, so he gives himself under the form of bread and wine. And then a few days later on the cross, he gives himself in a bloody manner on the cross. And there in John 19, 34, we see that river of blood and water come from Christ's side when his side is pierced. And that blood and water coming from his side is a sign of God's spirit being poured out on all humanity. But his spirit comes to us through water, which means baptism, mm. and through his blood, which means the Eucharist. It's the sacraments. So the sacraments are a river through time and through space that flows out and fills the whole world, flowing from the side of Jesus and from his sacrifice at the cross. And you in the Philippines and me here in the U.S., uh, both of us could probably like travel for a half hour, if that, and get to a Catholic church, maybe less than that. In my case, I could. The, the nearest Catholic church is ten minutes from where I am in this hotel. Cool. <laughs> and once we get to a Catholic church, we can drink from the water at Christ's side. That's the baptismal font, and we can, and we can drink from the blood as well. That that's the Eucharist celebrated many times a day in every Catholic uh, parish. So the whole earth has become full of this river of the Holy Spirit which makes possible everybody to be a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, just like Adam and Eve were. And so the whole world is made into the Garden of Eden because anywhere in the world you can get back to mm -hmm. the life-giving drink of the river of life. You can get back to the fruit of the tree of life, which is Jesus's, has become Jesus' body and, and blood. And so anybody anywhere can be reconciled with God, come back to God's family, become a child of God, just like Adam and Eve were in the beginning. Praise God. Thanks for that, yeah. Dr. John Bergsma. Uh, a lot of Catholics don't know that we're already in heaven whenever we enter the Mass. Mm -hmm. So I guess go to the next Mass that you can find, and there you'll find the new covenant that the Lord has promised us. Voltaire, I'll give you the honors to ask Dr. Bergsma the last question. Yeah, and, and that's actually a very beautiful climax uh, to the story uh, that we began with Adam to Jesus. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would uh, be excited, and I hope that may, makes them pick up Dr. Bergsma's book, Bible Basics. And I'm sure that will eventually want them to share uh, their faith, what they learned from the Bible uh, to others. Unfortunately, uh, and, and I learned this uh, from Chris Stefanik, we have a lot of people uh, that we call members of the Church of Nuns uh, or, or people who are not even interested uh, in, in taking the Bible seriously. They have nothing uh, that they're interested in or or worse we have people who call themselves catholics but and and they think they already know enough so they're not interested to learn more uh what would be a good elevator pitch uh to people uh that are members of the church of nuns that our listeners can can make their own so that they can invite them to study the bible deeper sure yeah i wrote a book for nuns uh N-O-N-E-S, mm -hmm. uh, people with no faith or no religion, called Yes, There Is a God and Other Answers to Life's Big Questions. And so if there's anybody listening that mm -hmm. is like, I don't really know why I should believe in anything, um, I would encourage you to pick up that book. Um, you know, the, the natural world around us, in everywhere we look, points to an intelligent, all-powerful creator. And, and once you realize that, you got to wonder, well, has this creator ever tried to speak to us? Mm. And if you look at all the candidates for a true prophet, you know, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, hey, Jesus's qualifications are far better. His resume is much more impressive than Muhammad, Buddha, yes. Guru <laughs> Nanak, anybody else. So you really should check out Jesus. Mm -hmm. And once you check out Jesus, you're like, well, 
Did he leave a family? Did he leave a church behind? Then check out the credentials for the Catholic Church. And again, Catholic Church has the best resume mm-hmm. of, of any church that can claim to be, you know, founded by Jesus. So, yeah, really encourage folks, you know, if you think that there's no reason to believe anything, check out uh, my book, uh, Yes, There is a God and Other Answers to Life's Big Questions. But, or, you know, or even pick up Bio Basics because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, don't believe in anything because they never got what the Bible was about. They never mm-hmm. saw the, the message. You know, there's just too many details that they lost track of, of the progress of the story. But Bible basics keeps it simple. And you see, oh, oh, this is what's going on. And this is why mass is important. This is why we keep celebrating that, that Eucharist that Jesus first celebrated at the last supper. And, um, yeah, this is the biggest message in the universe. It's about be, being being a son or a daughter of God, which just breathes all kinds of meaning into my life. My identity is not about my sexual preferences. It's not about my gender. It's not, you know, that, that's, all, that's all nonsense compared to being a son or a daughter of God and having that loving relationship with God, knowing that he is your loving father and being embraced by his loving arms for all eternity like there's nothing it does not get any better than that literally and uh that just breathes light meaning hope life joy into our lives even in the face of sorrow and sickness and challenges yeah, that that's true and a lot of people are, are trying to find their identities and they look for you know this uh what the world is telling them like you said uh sexual identities which really are just nothing compared to our primary identity as as adopted uh, sons and daughters of God and if you're looking for an identity that's the perfect one to to aspire for amen to that yeah hey dr bergsma voltaire we're at the end of the show time flies when you're having fun so i'd like to thank yes. you again dr bergsma for responding to our email i i know there's so much in the bible that one podcast episode is yes it's not enough to cover them all and my goal here is just to whet the appetites of the listeners to inspire them to pick up your book and eventually the bible voltaire any message to dr bergsma that you you wanted to tell him yeah i know definitely thank you for for your ministry for writing those books uh i I always say it takes a genius to make complex things simple and Thank you for making that effort uh, because now it's easy it's easy for people like me uh, and Jay to you know help others also uh, explore their faith with with much gusto uh, so to speak so thank you for that and hopefully my dream uh, of going to Franciscan University maybe for my children uh, will come true so see you in yeah. the future absolutely sounds great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and maybe we can do this again and, you know, tackle another subject. Yeah. Perfect. Dr. Bergsma, please invite the audience to your work, or if you have any social media you'd like to invite sure. them to. Absolutely. So check out catholicbibleteacher.com, mm-hmm. and uh, all my audio products and my books and stuff like that is available on that website. And then check out uh, also... Saintpaulcenter.com, just mm-hmm. stpaulcenter.com, all lowercase, no punctuation. Um, and that's uh, the website of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology that, uh, that I helped to lead with Dr. Scott Hahn. He's president and vice president. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just uh, as the St. Paul Center, just trying to fill the world with great Catholic resources on scripture so mm-hmm. that every Catholic in the world can be literate in the Bible and every every priest in the world can be fluent in the Bible. And uh, so we got great stuff for every single level, you know, from if you're a beginner to if you've got a doctorate in scripture, we got great resources at the St. Paul Center on video, on audio, uh, printed uh, resources. Um, so folks can check that out and, um, you know, you can stream it no matter where you are in the world, Philippines, Africa, mm-hmm. Asia, U.S. You can uh, stream the materials from the St. Paul Center and and give yourself a great scriptural education. 
uh, just in the comfort of your home. All right. Voltaire, anything you'd like to promote on your end before you sign off? No, I just just uh, continue uh, tuning in to Unboxing Catholicism, The Noisy Sheep uh, podcast, and of course, uh, the J. Aruga Show. All right. Dr. Bergsma, thanks again for accepting our invite. Please include our country in your players. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Definitely do that. This has been another episode of the J. Aruga Show. At the end of the day, it will be night. Goodbye.